Well, I'd like to begin this morning with a story that I'm sure I've told before, but as I prepared for the message this week, I knew I just had to tell it again. Back in high school, a remarkable thing happened to our church youth group. We were a pretty typical collection of church kids doing the usual youth group thing. Bible study on Wednesday nights, bowling and mini golf on Friday nights, Sunday school, sit in the balcony in the back row and pass notes during the service. That sort of thing, okay? But one fall, a handful of our group, upperclassmen mainly, began sneaking out of Bible study and finding their way to the dark, empty sanctuary of the church to pray. They would kneel or sit in a circle on the platform of that cavernous room and pray for each other and for God to do something more with our youth group. Now, I wasn't there at the beginning. I was just a squirrely freshman. But as weeks went by, more and more began to join that group, and pretty soon we were all there, and there were 20 and 30 and 40 of us kneeling on the platform in the dark. No adults, no leaders, just a bunch of kids praying in the dark, asking God to do something more. Now, about that time, a coffee house opened up in just over the state line in New Jersey. On Friday nights, they would have a Christian rock band play, and who'd ever heard of that before? And then a pastor would speak, and apparently it was really exciting. And so we gave up our bowling and mini golf on Friday nights, piled into cars, and, and drove down to a little Nazarene church in New Milford, New Jersey, for a coffee house. And sure enough, the band would play for an hour or two. A pastor would get up and speak, and it was an unbelievable experience. The place was packed with teenagers and college students, and something powerful was happening there week after week on Friday night. In fact, it was at that very same coffee house, right about the very same time that our own Pastor Jim Ennis had a life-changing encounter with Christ. So you see, good things can happen in New Jersey, okay? <laughs> That's good to know. Well, we got so inspired what was happening there, we decided to go back home and start our own coffee house. And so somehow we persuaded the elders of the church to let us use the old sanctuary of the church and the unfinished basement. So we painted the whole thing psychedelic colors and hung beads in all the doorways. It was 1970, okay? <laughs> and every Friday, we started, someone formed a Christian rock band, and so every Friday night we would open up the doors. And there'd be live music in the sanctuary, there'd be free food and rap sessions downstairs in the basement. And as weeks went by, hundreds and hundreds of kids began to come, high school and college students from all over the nearby towns, and, and people were coming to faith in Christ. I remember one night in the sanctuary in the worship space, and, and this guy came in and stood next to me. Now, I recognized him from school. His name was Jerry, big kid. He kind of was from one of, the, one of the group homes that was there in our town. And he had a, kind of a Jimi Hendrix look about him, big hair, headband, leather vest, the whole deal. And I remember, as I looked over at him, uh, hanging from his belt loop was a little leather pouch. Now, I'm not sure what was in it, but I don't think it was M&M's, okay? And <laughs> there he was. Before too long, Jerry was really getting into the music. And, and pretty soon, he found his way downstairs and got into a conversation with some folks. And before the end of the evening, he had opened his heart to Jesus Christ and flushed whatever was in that bag down the toilet in the men's room. He became a regular part of our youth group and eventually went on to become a pastor. So all kinds of things were going on on Friday nights. Meanwhile, on Wednesday nights, we would come back into the sanctuary and, and pray. Well, first we would have a Bible study. And I don't mean 10 minutes listening to one of our leaders talk. I meant all of us sitting there with our Bibles open and our pens in hand, asking questions, taking notes, flipping back and forth across the Bible. We couldn't get enough of it. And then we would pray. 
Not just for a few minutes, but for a long time. And not for the math test on Friday or for our sick cat. We were praying for each other, that we would grow in our faith and praying for our friends that they would come to know Christ. It's a powerful time in the life of the church. And then we would, we would begin to confess our sins to each other out loud. I remember there were these two sisters, real-life sisters, in the, in the youth group, and they couldn't stand each other. They were jealous of each other. They fought all the time. We'd all watched it for years. And I remember one night when the older sister got up, walked across the room, and asked her younger sister to forgive her. And they stood in the center of the room hugging each other and crying. And pretty soon the rest of us were in the center of the room hugging each other and crying. <laughs> Seniors hugging freshmen, jocks and nerds, throwing their arms around each other. It was a work of God, is all I can say. I remember parents coming downstairs to find out what in the world was going on because it was a school night and nobody was coming up from the basement. And they'd come downstairs to see this room full of kids hugging and praying and singing and crying and, and they didn't know what to make of it and we didn't know what to make of it. It was just real and it was powerful. And the only way to describe it is that we were on fire for God. Well, to make a long story longer, what was happening with us <laughs> began to infect the whole church. And pretty soon, the adults started organizing themselves into Bible studies and prayer groups. And new people started coming. And worship became more lively. They let us bring drums and guitars into the sanctuary on Sunday morning. The place was packed after a while. The balcony was full of kids. And we weren't passing notes. We were taking notes during the whole sermon. Those are some of the most exciting, dramatic years in the life of that great church. And it was during those years, in that year, that first year, that I first sensed God calling me to a life of ministry. Now, as it turned out, what was happening in our youth group was happening in lots of other youth groups and churches and college campuses all across the country. It came to be known as the Jesus People Movement. Now, I can't fully explain all that happened, why it happened, how it happened, but one thing I know for sure, what we experienced was nothing less than the power and presence of God's Holy Spirit. Now, as we gather with Jesus and his disciples this morning around this table in that upper room, we are going to hear Jesus speak again and again and again and again and again five times about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the triunity of God, that he is one God existing eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, of those three, surely it's the Spirit that in our tradition, at least, is the least understood and the most neglected. And that's unfortunate. In fact, that's tragic. Because what we're going to be discovering this morning is that you really can't live the Christian life or be a vibrant church apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life or be a vibrant church apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize not every Christian has had the kind of experience I had back in those days. I realize, too, that many Christians have had far more dramatic and frequent experiences than those. I can't explain all that. There's a lot of mystery and even controversy about the work of the Spirit. But I can tell you this. Ever since those days, I have never stopped asking God to fill me and the churches I've served with more and more of His Holy Spirit. So that's why I'm excited about the message we're, I'm going to be sharing with you this morning about what it might mean for our lives and for our church as well. So let's listen in again on this conversation happening on the final night before Jesus goes to the cross. He and the disciples around a table in that upper room. Five times in that conversation, Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit. And each time, 
he reveals a slightly different aspect of the Spirit's work. Let's walk through those five things and then just for a few minutes think about how we might experience some of what we've been talking about this morning. So this farewell discourse is found in John's Gospel, chapters 13 through 17. And the Holy Spirit is first mentioned in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. And the first thing Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit is that he lives within us. He lives within us. John 14, beginning of verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now let's remember the setting here for a moment. This is their, 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 their final night together, and Jesus has been talking about leaving them and about death and about hardship. They said he's going to leave, and, and this is very unsettling for all the disciples. They don't understand where he's going. They don't know why he has to leave, and they're not sure what they're supposed to do or how they're supposed to do it now that he's leaving. Remember, for three years they have built their lives around him. They've left their homes and their businesses to follow him. And now he's going to up and leave. What are they supposed to do now? And so Jesus is trying to encourage them, to comfort them. And so he assures them that even though on the one hand he's going to be leaving them, in another very real way, he's going to be with them. Now, we've all been to uh, funeral services when someone is up front and they're talking about the person who's passed away. And maybe it's a friend or a family member. And as they talk about that person who's passed away, they often will say something like, but he'll always be with us. Now, we know what they mean, people mean when they say that. They mean that uh, they'll be with us in our memory. As we go to places we used to go to together, we'll, we'll remember being there with them again. Uh, they mean that they'll be with us in our imaginations that sometimes in quiet moments of reflection, we can almost hear their voice once again talking to us, telling us the things they always used to tell us, how they loved us or they're proud of us or we should change the oil every 3,000 miles if it was your father who passed away, something like that. We know what they mean, that, that even though this person's passed away, at times it's going to feel like they're with us. But the truth is, they're not, are they? They're really not here with us anymore. And that's why we grieve. That's why we mourn. Because, because we can't hear their voice, actually. We, we can't touch them. We can't go to the ball game or the, or the lake house with them. We can't sit at the table and talk like we used to. They're just not here anymore. But when Jesus says to his disciples and to us that he's going to be with us, he doesn't mean in our imagination or in our memory. He means he's actually going to be with us in a very powerful way. Because once he physically leaves the earth, the Holy Spirit will come into the world. And not only come into the world, but come into our very hearts. Listen to what he says. But you know him, that is the Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. You see, Jesus could say to his disciples, for he's with you because Jesus was now with them. But when he leaves, the Holy Spirit will come and will be in them personally, individually. And he goes on to say, notice that this Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy or a memory. It's a person. 
it's a he, it's a him. In fact, Jesus describes him as, as a counselor or an advocate. The particular word that Jesus uses there literally means someone called alongside another person. It was often used to describe an advocate who would stand with you in court, someone who would stand beside you, who would speak for you and, and whisper into your ear so that you would not be there alone. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's not only with us, he's in us. As theologians like to put it, he indwells us. He brings the presence of God right into our lives. You see, if Jesus is God with us, the Spirit is God in us. And how remarkable is that? And that's why Jesus will tell us later on that it's actually better for them and for us if he goes away. Because Jesus of Nazareth could only be in one place at one time with one group of people. But through the Spirit, Jesus could be with every believer, every group, everywhere, all the time. Not just in church, and not just when we're having devotions, but on the job, and on the train, and on the athletic field, and in the classroom, and in the courtroom, and in the hospital room, and in the prison cell, and in the funeral parlor, with everyone, everywhere, all the time. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have invited Christ into your life to forgive you, to begin forming you into the person you were made to be, then God lives in you by His Holy Spirit. Right now. You don't have to wait for some second later kind of a work for that to happen. It happens the moment you open your heart to Christ. The Spirit comes and lives within you. Now, I had that remarkable experience back when I was 14 or so. I, I describe it as an awakening to the work of the Spirit. But the truth is the Spirit had been with me for a long time before that. Ever since I was five years old and I raised my hand at vacation Bible school and said, yeah, I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus. That very moment, God began living in me through his Holy Spirit. Now, I had a lot I didn't understand at five years old, a lot I had to grow into, a lot I had to awaken to over the years. But the Spirit was with me all along. And the same is true for you. If you have opened your heart to Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you. Now, you may have a lot to learn about that. You may ha need to have awakenings of your own, but the Spirit is with you now. Well, that's certainly good news. It was good news for his disciples, and it's good news for us. But what exactly now does the Spirit do when he takes up residence in us? That's what Jesus will talk about in these next four statements. Four things the Spirit does for us. We'll move through them quickly, and then we'll try to bring it together. The first thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Jesus says in verse 26 of chapter 14, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now this word that John uses here for teach is a classroom word. It's to instruct someone in a field of knowledge, to train someone in a particular skill. See, Jesus said many things to his disciples, many things they couldn't fully understand when he told them. Now, over time, they would begin to understand. They understood a little bit more after he died and after the resurrection, but there was still a lot they didn't get. And they really didn't understand it until that day, 50-some days after this dinner, 
when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and wind blew through the room and flames, tongues of fire appeared above the heads of the disciples. And in that moment, they finally got it. They understood. They put it all together. Oh, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the, the victory over the grave, the inauguration of the kingdom. It was like a light bulb went off. They got it. It was like a kid getting algebra, finally, for the first time. For me, I got the spirit before I ever got algebra. So, <laughs> But they got it. And, and they were suddenly able to explain it, to say to the crowds on that day, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was the man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, and they went on to tell the whole story. It was the Holy Spirit that helped them put it all together that day. And that's what the Spirit does for us. Everything we need to, need to know is here in the Scriptures. And lots of it is hard for us to understand. But, but the Holy Spirit teaches us, guide, as we, guides us as we open the Scriptures. It means when you sit down to to, to, to read your Bible, you're not alone. The Spirit is there to help you understand and process the words. When we gather in rooms like this and people like me stand up and teach from the Bible, we're not alone. The Spirit is here helping me, helping you to say and hear what God wants us to understand today. In fact, in some uh, more colorful churches, when the, when the preacher's having a tough time, someone from the back row will yell, Holy Spirit, help them! And there are some Sundays we really need that help. So, <laughs> some Sundays you need it. So. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that, that created this hunger in the hearts of a bunch of board church youth group kids who've been in Sunday school our whole lives to suddenly want to open our Bibles and mark them up. We could not get enough of it. If you are not experiencing a hunger like that for God's Word, the Bible's not coming alive for you as you read it personally. If your small group or life community is giving pat answers and Christian cliches, then maybe what you and we need is a fresh work of God's Spirit among us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers us, empowers us for witness. John 15, 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. But you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Now notice here, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to point people to Christ, to Jesus. Holy Spirit never calls attention to himself, always throws the spotlight on Jesus. I find it interesting when people talk about what happened back in the 1970s, they talk about the Jesus people. It was a work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit made it about Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness, but then we, his followers, also bear witness. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm about to leave, so you guys, you're going to have to be the ones out there pointing people to me, telling people about me. Now that was not going to be easy for them to do. It wasn't an easy message for the people of the day to receive that the Messiah of Israel had just been crucified and had risen from the dead. That was a hard message for people to believe. And remember who these disciples are. In uh, just a few hours, all of them are going to abandon Jesus in the garden. The boldest of the bunch, Peter, he's going to deny he ever even knew Jesus, let alone that he's a follower. So they were going to need some help. 
But 50 some days later, this same group of cowards stood up in the streets of Jerusalem in the very face of the authorities who had just crucified their leader. And they spoke his name and his message with such boldness and clarity and power that thousands of people came to believe that very day. It was the Spirit that empowered him. And now, these many thousands of years later, you and I are those witnesses. We're the ones pointing people to Jesus in the world. And that's not easy for us to do, is it? It's not easy today to get people to, to think seriously about spiritual matters. It's not easy to get New Englanders to take seriously the Bible. It's not only hard to do, it's, it's risky. It's uncomfortable. And you can lose friends. You can lose a reputation. You can lose a job if you talk about this stuff too much. In many places in the world, you can go to jail, or worse, for talking about these kinds of things. I mean, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. How, how freely, how openly, how frequently do we speak the name of Jesus aloud in public settings in our day-to-day life? It's not easy. But we need the Spirit to empower us. I look back on those coffeehouse days and I marvel at how bold we were, how bold I was, a shy, introverted, squirrely little freshman. While, while, while other kids were putting peace signs on their, on their T-shirts and their notebooks, I was putting big Jesus fish and wearing that shirt up and down the halls of the school. I mean, where in the world did we get that kind of courage? It was the work of the Spirit. If you're having a hard time speaking out for Jesus in your school or home or neighborhood, if we're uncomfortable inviting people to church, maybe we need a fresh work of God's Spirit among us. Well, thirdly, the Spirit convicts us. John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now there's some debate among scholars as to whether this word should be translated convict or convince. And you can make a case for both, and you could argue that it's supposed to be both. Because some people need to be convinced. Some people have a hard time believing that God loves them unconditionally. Some people have a hard time believing that God even exists. We're going to be, in a couple of weeks, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. A lot of people have a very hard time believing such a thing is possible. That's what we're going to be talking about on Easter and the Sundays afterwards. A lot of people need to be convinced. At the same time, a lot of people need to be convicted. Most of us don't like to hear that we're sinful people. We don't like to admit that we, that we have needs or that we're in trouble. We don't like to be told that we might be accountable someday for the lives that we live. So we need conviction. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We've all had the experience of, of telling someone something about the, the good news, the work of God, and hearing them shrug their shoulders or smile condescendingly or turn and walk away. We, we know, many of us, how hard it is for us to admit that we need God and that we have to face our sinfulness. 
And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Spirit convinces, speaks and helps us with our minds to understand these things are real and true. The Spirit convicts us, gives us the courage and the honesty to face what's wrong on the inside. It was the Holy Spirit who found that kid Jerry and prompted him to visit the coffee house that night. It captured his imagination with the music that opened his mind and his heart to understand what people were talking to him downstairs that brought him to a place where he's ready to ask God to come into his life, give him the courage to flush that stuff down the toilet. You can't manipulate that sort of thing. It's a work of the Spirit. If someone you know is having a hard time believing the message that you've been sharing with them, if you're having a hard time admitting your particular need and brokenness, maybe we need a fresh work of the Spirit in our lives. And finally, the Holy Spirit guides us. Verse 12. I have much more to say to you, Jesus said, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. There was no way that Jesus could prepare his followers for everything they were going to encounter in the days and the years to come. Every challenge, every question, every theological debate, every individual person, no way. Jesus had told them everything they needed to know, but it would be the work of the Spirit to help them apply those things to the given challenges and opportunities that would confront them. For instance, it was the Holy Spirit who helped Peter understand that God loved Gentiles as much as he loved Jews, that God had no favorites. It was the Holy Spirit that directed Paul to go to this city and visit that place and stay away from there and open your mouth and be quiet. It was the work of the Spirit to guide Paul in the ways and the will of God. And these thousands of years later, we certainly need the Spirit to guide us as we take the truths of Scripture and try to apply them to the challenges and questions of our contemporary world. Again, everything we need to know is right here, but, but how do you apply these truths to such things as uh, compl complex issues like, well, like abortion or, or bioethics or sexual identity or the intersection of faith and science? We need the Spirit's guidance as we work through these things. And how about the everyday decisions that we face on our, on our jobs and in the neighborhood and around school, the temptation, the opportunity, the conversation, when to speak, when to be quiet? It's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit guides us, takes the truth of God's Word and His call on our lives. I fully believe it was the Holy Spirit who found me in the hallway on a Friday night, mopping up after one of those, literally mopping up after one of those coffee house nights when God had done amazing things. And me saying in my heart, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Not mop the floor, but, but <laughs> be part of, be part of, be on the inside of what God is doing in the church and in the world. I believe God was guiding me then. If we're having a hard time navigating the challenges of our contemporary world, if you're having a hard time discerning God's leading in your life and relationships, Maybe we need a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit in our midst. And so there you have it, the essence of what Jesus said to his followers that night about the work of the Spirit. 
Now, there was much more to be said, and the book of Acts and the letters of the New Testament will offer much more teaching about the work of the Spirit. We haven't even talked about the gifts of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. But enough today for us to grasp the central truth that Jesus wanted his disciples and us to know, that you cannot live the Christian life and we cannot be a vibrant church apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of this may be new territory to some who are here. Others may find some clarity to things they've been confused about. Others may find ourselves being reminded of things we had known but have neglected. But, but whatever the case, I hope that for all of us, it will bring about a sense of urgency and intensity and expectancy about the work of God's Spirit in our lives and in our church. There's no formula for any of these things. You, you, you can't manipulate the Spirit. You can't engineer a revival. You can't program these things. Jesus says the Spirit is like the wind. It blows wherever it wills. You can't control the wind, but you can set your sail to catch the wind. There are things we can do that create space and opportunity for the Spirit of God to blow into our lives and homes and church. And let me just offer three of them. It begins with an awakening, with a fresh understanding and awareness of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened to the disciples that night, and that's our, our key lesson for this week. At the table, we awaken to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the disciples, they were certainly familiar with the work of the Spirit. The Old Testament, 300 plus times, talks about the wind and the breath and the Spirit of God. And Jesus has made passing references to the Spirit in his teaching. But that night at the table, they finally put it all together. They understood what Jesus was saying about the Spirit. In fact, toward the end of the conversation, they say, now you are speaking clearly. Now we can see. They were awakening to this new reality. And it was awakening that would unfold over the next 50 days or so until that day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell like fire from heaven. And so fresh work of the Spirit always begins with awakening, with awareness, with learning. Now, so that's been a simple goal of mine this morning is just to awaken us once again to the reality of the Spirit. And if you're finding yourselves intrigued or curious, I encourage you, dig a little deeper, study, read. A couple of books I'll suggest to you. There's a couple of classic books on the Holy Spirit, one by Charles Stanley, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, another by Chuck Swindoll, Flying Closer to the Flame. They're kind of classic works that will lay out the foundation. A more recent book that uh, I just read, written by actually a former friend and classmate of mine, Jack Levison, is entitled Fresh Air. And I'll tell you, reading that book the past few weeks has brought about an awakening in my spirit once again to the reality of the Holy Spirit. So it begins with awakening, but awakening always leads to asking. Because when we begin to discover what the Spirit can do, we begin to want some of that, to want more. That's why Jesus taught this way, was to whet their appetite. And they, they began to ask. In the days after the resurrection, the Bible tells us that they gathered constantly together in prayer, often in that same upper room, probably, to pray and wait for whatever God had next. On the day of Pentecost, when fire fell from heaven, they were in a room praying together when it happened. Jesus wants us to ask. 
In fact, he says in another place, if you, earthly parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus wants us to experience the Spirit, but he will not force himself on us. He waits for us to ask. Asking. That's, that's what that group of kids was doing in that empty, dark sanctuary, kneeling on the platform, just asking for more. I don't think we knew who or what we were asking for. We just wanted something more than church and life as usual. And you know what? I found out later that for many, many months leading up to that revival, a group of parents in that church had been meeting together every week to pray for their kids and to pray for a fresh work of God in that youth group. Grace Chapel, are we doing that? Are we asking God for more of whatever it is he wants to do in and among and through us? Parents, are you praying that intentionally, privately and corporately for your students, for Kidstown and student ministries across all of our campuses? Life community leaders, worship leaders, ministry teams, are, are you praying for God's anointing on, on the people that you serve? Caregivers, are you asking God to empower you as you minister to people in Jesus' name? All of us, Grace Chapel, as we organize our, our week and get ready for Sunday, as you turn in on Saturday night, as you drive over on Sunday morning, are you asking God, are we asking God, do something fresh and powerful and real in our midst? Do we dare ask God for greater things? Awakening leads to asking and finally, asking leads to attentiveness, attentiveness. See, the Spirit's like the wind. You can't grab it, you can't point to it, but you can set your sail. You can wait for it and watch for it and feel for it like a sailor letting the sail go and then pulling it back in at the tug of the wind. And that's where the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices come in. Silence, solitude, listening prayer, reflective Bible reading, discerning prayer, retreat, all those things. We had a soul care day on the Lexington campus here yesterday. A few hundred people came, and they spent a good part of that morning in silence, just giving God space, because that's when the Holy Spirit can teach and empower and convict and guide. We'll have a chance to do that during Holy Week in our sacred spaces as we spend time with the Lord that, that week. As I said earlier, it's a mystery. There's no engineering or manipulating these things. But, but we can ask, we can attend, and we can be awakened. Now, I've never had another experience in my life like I did that year or two back in early high school. I don't need to have another experience like that, and I don't want to overemphasize the value of experiences because they can be confusing as well. I understand now the work of the Holy Spirit. I know that the Spirit is with me and in me. And I can tell you on a regular basis and I hope on a daily basis, I experience the Lord teaching and empowering and, and convicting and guiding me. And I know you do too. And it's a wonderful thing. We're grateful for the God's, what God is doing in our midst. Thrilled with the work of the Spirit in and through this church in all kinds of ways. But you know what? Ever since those days... I have never stopped asking God for more. More of his spirit, more of his power, more of whatever it is he wants to do in us and through us. And I hope you'll never stop asking for it either. 
So let's do that now as we go to prayer in just a moment. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Then following the prayer, we'll just let some music start. We'll allow ourselves some time just to sit with these truths for a few moments. You can sing or you can listen. We'll give you some quiet time for you to pray. And during those quiet moments, ask yourselves a few of these questions. Do I really want more of what the Holy Spirit might bring into my life and to our church? Do, am I willing to ask on a regular basis, privately or with others, for God to do more? How might I be attentive to what he's doing in the world around me? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful again for this conversation that took place such a long time ago that we were able to listen in upon and learn from. Once again, these truths have found their way into our lives and our experiences. We are grateful, Lord, for the work of your Spirit that so many of us have experienced. I do pray that you would awaken us and create in us a longing and a yearning for more of whatever it is you want to do in and through us for your glory and for our joy and for the good of the world. In Jesus' name.